911 as our song of encouragement. Good evening. It's an honor for me to be up here again. It seems like it's been quite a while. There's been a lot going on uh, throughout the summer. Uh, before we know it, school will be starting back. Sorry, teachers. I uh, don't mean to scare you or warn you. Uh, but it seems like summer, once it's here, it's over. And uh, we're already about to be halfway through the summer, uh, almost into the month of July on Friday. Uh, which is Allison's birthday, so I always remember the 1st of July, hopefully. Uh, Y'all make sure to remind me as it comes around each year. Uh, But it's an honor to be up here. Uh, Just a few months ago, my family and I, uh, this may surprise you, but I often tend to find myself in odd situations. Um, Odd, weird situations. I've got story after story uh, where I have gotten myself into something and didn't really know what was going to happen or how I was going to get out of it. Uh, but this was a good thing. Uh, you may remember back a few months ago, uh, I got to do something that all my life I have wanted to do, and that was be an audience member on the game show Family Feud. Uh, I love Family Feud. I remember going back to when I was just a little kid uh, that I would watch Family Feud with my grandmother. And uh, it would be old reruns uh, with Richard Dawson on there. Y'all probably remember that guy. I see some heads shaking. Uh, And through the years, uh, I kind of lost it for a few years while I was in college. Didn't have as much time to watch it. Uh, And now, Allison knows if she's in the other room and she hears me just belly laughing that I'm watching Family Feud. For some reason, that show just gets me cracked up. I don't know why. Um... But Steve Harvey doesn't have to say a word, and I start laughing. He just kind of makes these weird faces, and I just automatically start laughing. Uh, So we decided, I got an email uh, that we had free tickets to Family Feud, and they don't charge you to go on these shows because it's a show, and you're basically an actor for them uh, by being in the audience. Uh, So I got an email that we had tickets, so we went up there. Uh, This picture right here is us outside of it. And I'll explain why this is the only picture from the entire trip. Uh, It's because you would not believe how difficult it is to get into a game show. Okay? Uh, You would think you were going into the airport or going to meet the president. uh, Anything. It's kind of like that. Uh, No cell phones. No water. No drinks. No food. Nothing. You have to empty your pockets. Empty everything. uh, Before you go into the building... And then if you get up there and you, don't, and you have one of those things, they'll send you back to your car and you can go home. Uh, and my family and, and me and Allison had met in Atlanta to go to this show. And so you'd really hate to be in Atlanta and not get to see the show. And uh, so what we did is we sat there and on the ticket it says, just because you have a ticket doesn't mean you're getting in. And so we were very nervous. Uh, what they do is you get in there, they give more tickets then they have seats to make sure the place is full. And they try to accommodate people, but there were people turned down uh, even the day we were there. So we get there, and uh, we wait in line. We're pretty far back in the line. Uh, and we get up, we go through the metal detector that we had to go through. Like I said, it's like you're going to the airport. And uh, 
when we get up to the metal detector, you know, once you're through the metal detector, pretty much, you're in. But we got to the metal detector, and before we could go through, they said, what number were they? Talking about the people in front of us. And uh, they told them a number, and then they said, okay, hold those two. And so me and Allison and my, my parents uh, were very concerned that we were, had just dro- dri- driven uh, to Atlanta for nothing. Uh, at least we got to spend some time together. And so finally we got through, and even some of the people who got through didn't actually get to go to the show. I mean, it's kind of crazy. And we got in there, and we're, you get in the studio for about an hour before you even start recording the actual show. And uh, there's this guy, his name was Reuben. And Reuben, his job is to get the audience pumped up. Okay, that's his job. That's all he does. He travels the country with Steve Harvey. Uh, He goes to Atlanta, he goes to different spots where they film Family Feud, and his job is to pump people up. And he comes out there, and he gives us some rules. Okay, the first rule was clap, clap, and then clap a little bit more, Uh, because if you watch the show, you constantly hear people clapping. Uh, I think the second rule, that I remember anyway, was if they give a bad answer, clap anyway, because we want to hear you clapping on the show. Uh, And then he had to go over how to pronunciate different words and things like that, how he wanted us to say words, uh, because, you know, during the fast money portion at the end, uh, the audience reads off the words, and they go, oh, all that kind of stuff. We had to practice the ahs, everything, practice everything. Uh, And then, after he went through all of that, uh, he started playing music, getting us up on our feet, getting us pumped up. For about 45 minutes, he did this. He had us clapping our hands, going back and forth, clapping up and down. Uh, I have a watch that kind of tracks my steps. And uh, it's on your wrist, so every time you clap, it tracks a step. Uh, and I went from 4,000 steps that day to 9,000, just from clapping. Okay, It was a lot of clapping. Um, Reuben was probably my favorite person from the trip. He was hilarious. He was, he was active. He was energetic. He got me excited. He had a job that would be fun to have. Uh, But you'll never see Ruben's name mentioned on the show. You'll never see Ruben's name come through the credits of the show. I've I've never noticed it anyway. You never see any recognition for for Ruben. And he's he's a key aspect to the show. Without him, the show is completely different. And the way I understand it, uh, he and Steve Harvey are personal friends, and that's why he was chosen to, to have this part. Many people lead from behind the scenes. Not every leader is on the front end. Not every leader is seen. Many leaders, probably more leaders, are seen from behind the scenes. And throughout God's Word, we see people who are leading from behind the scenes, who have a huge impact on us, who have had a huge impact on our faith, all from behind the scenes, someone who was not uh, very known throughout the Bible. Uh, But I want you to look, we're going to go to Mark chapter 1 in just a minute, uh, and it'll be on the screen. Uh, But each time the apostles are mentioned, the 12 apostles in list form, each time they're listed, there are four men who are first on the list every four times, all four times. You remember who they are? Peter, Andrew, James, and John. All four times, all four of these men are mentioned. 
And uh, what I find incredible, for me anyway, is that uh, in these two sets are brothers. Peter and Andrew are brothers. James and John are brothers. Uh, and it's pretty incredible that two sets of brothers were able to follow Jesus, be disciples of Christ together. Uh, I find that pretty incredible. And what an awesome experience to, to, uh, to follow Jesus. Um, so Andrew is Peter's brother. And we know less about Andrew and hear less from Andrew throughout the Bible than any of the other three people in this group. Uh, Peter, James, and John are all, all mentioned more times than Andrew, yet Andrew is still considered to be in that top group closest to Jesus. Uh, in two of Jesus' most crucial moments in his life, if you look in the Garden of Gethsemane and on the Mount of Transfiguration, only three of these guys are mentioned, Peter, James, and John. Uh, and so Andrew kind of seems to fall in that fourth position as the fourth guy. Uh, but I want you to look at Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 29. In Mark chapter 1, verse 29, we read this. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. So here we see Andrew uh, there on the scene when Jesus healed his brother's mother-in-law. Uh, here, They're right with the other three in that top group. And then if you go on over to Mark chapter 13, verses 3 through 4, uh, we see a similar thing there. It reads like this. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? So here we are again. Andrew with Peter, James, and John. There with them as they question Jesus about some things that they don't really understand. Andrew playing a vital role, playing a big part in, uh, in the life of Christ. Uh, but now I want you to go to John chapter 1. We're going to camp out there for just a minute. John chapter 1, verses 35 through 40. Based on these events that happen, even though in two of Jesus' most crucial moments, Andrew isn't there. But based on these other two instances, it seems as though Andrew was part of a group that was extremely close to Jesus. And even though he's behind the scenes, and he's not talked about very much throughout God's Word, it seems as though Andrew plays a very vital role in Jesus' ministry. And I want to look kind of tonight as, at a character. Just look at the character of Andrew. To look at Andrew and who he is, because I think a lot of people in this room can relate to Andrew. You don't feel very comfortable leading on the front end, on the front lines, being in front of a lot of people, but you do feel comfortable doing some things behind the scenes. Doing some things that really make an impact on people, uh, but aren't as recognized. And that's Andrew. So in John chapter 1, 35-40, I want us to read that and then kind of break it down a little bit. Starting in verse 35. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. 
And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah. Alright, so I want you to look back to verse 35. Uh, as we kind of break this down just a little bit, uh, Andrew was a disciple of who at the beginning? Who was he following? He was following John the Baptist, right? Andrew had been following John the Baptist, and John the Baptist jo- had a very special job. You remember what his job was to prepare the way for Jesus. And Andrew follows him. Andrew is right there with John the Baptist learning about Jesus before Jesus ever came. Uh, And so here we see when Jesus comes and calls them that Andrew is one of the first two people to meet Jesus as he begins his ministry. Uh, What a special opportunity for him to have uh, to be there, uh, to be standing there, to meet Jesus. Uh, When he was called, he left pretty quickly. Uh, He left immediately and followed Jesus uh, and left John the Baptist, um, to me, this tells me that, that he really truly believed what John the Baptist was telling him. All along the, the way, John the Baptist has been preparing Andrew to meet the Messiah, to meet his Savior. And when his Savior shows up, Andrew doesn't question whether or not this is the guy. He doesn't ask Jesus, uh, are you sure? He doesn't look at John the Baptist and say, hey, is this really the guy that you've been talking about? He just goes. He goes with him. And if you look at verse 39, uh, or even back to verse 38, it says, they said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? They didn't want this guy to just pass through and leave them behind. They wanted to know where Jesus was at, where he was staying, uh, where he was going to rest his head. And look what he says in verse 39. He says, come and you will see. This is one of my favorite things to read in the Bible. uh, And I don't think it's talked about very much. But notice what it says the rest of this verse. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day. For it was about the tenth hour. How cool. Just stop and and put yourself in, in Andrew's place. They came and saw where Jesus was at. And, and he says, it says they, he, they stayed with him for the rest of the day. There they are with their Savior. They've been learning about him, reading about him, listening to people talk about him. And there they are, spending the evening in private fellowship with their Savior. What a cool situation to be in. Very few times throughout the Bible do you see just one or two people in the presence of Jesus, in private fellowship with Him. I love to try to put myself in this position, just to think, uh, you know, you have those times where you say, 
When I get to heaven, I want to ask Jesus this. When I get to heaven, I want to say this to Jesus. Andrew had that opportunity. Andrew is here in the presence of Jesus in private fellowship with Him. And I can only imagine what he might have said, what they talked about, what their conversations were like. It would be so cool to have been in that room at that time to hear those guys uh, meet each other, to introduce themselves to each other. Uh, I want to ask you this question. How often do you spend time in private fellowship with Jesus? How often do you, do you step away from the craziness of your daily life and just put yourself in the presence of Jesus as you think, as you pray, as you read God's Word? Do you do it while you're in the living room with the TV running where you're kind of paying attention to, to Jesus, but you're kind of divided at the same time? Because oftentimes I find myself in that position. How often do you spend time in private fellowship with Jesus? I would propose that we all need more time in private fellowship with Jesus. And if you don't spend any time with Him, then my challenge to you tonight is to go home and throughout the next few weeks, throughout the rest of your life, find time to put some private fellowship with Jesus into your schedule. Because clearly... As we read on into verse 40, something very special happened in that private fellowship with him. And I'll I'll try to show you what I think happens when we ourselves are also in private fellowship with Jesus. Look at verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So look how, how... John describes Andrew. He describes him as Simon Peter's brother. Here's a man who it seems to be he is lesser known than his brother. Um, I know personally uh, at times in my life when I've played second fiddle to my sibling, to my sister, some of you can think of times like that. Maybe your whole life you feel like you've played second fiddle to your sibling. Andrew easily could have felt this. He easily could have felt this way. Peter gains a reputation throughout his time on earth as the spokesman for the apostles. He gains a reputation as being the apostle who is closest to Jesus. And then you read about Andrew very rarely throughout God's Word. He easily could have been angry, jealous, upset, mad, But it seems like this sibling rivalry never really took off. It seems like these two guys had a good relationship with each other. And even though Peter is more well-known, more outspoken, still Andrew plays a vital part uh, in God's Word. Look at verses 41 and 42. Notice what he did immediately following meeting Jesus. 41 and 42 is pretty cool. He first... Not second, not third, not last. First, after he left his private fellowship with Jesus, the first thing he did is he found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked to him and said, so you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The first thing he did, the most important thing to him in his life, Once he met the Messiah, 
was to go find his brother, to go find his family, to take the Messiah to his family. And notice when he walks up to Peter, he doesn't say, we found this guy and I think he's really special. Come and meet him. Instead, he says, we have found the Messiah. And it seems as though Peter knows exactly what he means when he says that. It's not one of those things where Andrew has to sit down and explain to him who Jesus is. He and his brother had talked about Jesus. I believe that 100%. He and his brother had conversations, maybe daily, about who Jesus was and when they would finally get to meet him. And yet he still runs straight to him. Andrew was a person that was, jump, that was not jumping out in front of everybody. He wasn't seeking the spotlight. If he was, then maybe he would have known the personality of his brother Peter and said, you know what? I met the Messiah. I want to be his right-hand man. Uh, I'll let Peter figure that out for himself. He knew the personality of his brother, yet still he ran over there to meet him, to, to introduce Jesus to Peter. Andrew wasn't the man on the front lines. He was happy to do whatever he could with the gifts he had. He was very happy to do exactly what he could with the gifts he had. You don't have to be a person in the spotlight who's extremely outgoing, who's high energy, to make an impact for for God's kingdom. You don't have to be that person. Too many Christians think that because they can't speak in public or because they can't be the front man, that they can't evangelize or that they can't make an impact on other people's spirituality, their salvation. But that's simply not true. And Andrew is a prime example of this. Andrew was not a man out in front, but when he had the opportunity, Andrew became known as someone who introduced people to Jesus. Hurry real quick with me over to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. I want to read verses 20 through 22 as we're going to see the type of reputation that Andrew had developed for himself as he followed Christ, as he followed Jesus. Look at chapter 12, verses 20 through 22. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, notice what they asked him, we wish to see Jesus. Philip must have been someone that to them knew Jesus. So they came to Philip and said, we want to see Jesus. And Philip's a pretty great guy too. But notice the first thing Philip does. When when these people come to him and want to see Jesus, Philip... Verse 22, went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Philip knew Andrew as a person that would introduce these Greeks to Jesus. Philip was known as someone who was introducing people. Philip was a little afraid to introduce people, but Andrew knew Jesus. And he was very comfortable taking people to the foot of Jesus. We also need to become people 
who are known for introducing people to Jesus. Andrew was a man who saw the value in a personal relationship with Jesus. He saw that value. And because he knew the value of his personal relationship with Jesus, he was very confident that other people also needed to have a personal relationship with his Savior. I want you to go over now to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, and we're going to spend the rest of our time there closing out this lesson in John chapter 6. This is a very well-known story. Um, Jesus feeds the 5,000. We studied this story in Bible school just two weeks ago. And uh, this, this is a pretty awesome story, but I don't know if we've ever stopped and really recognized Andrew. I want you to look at what happens. Starting verse 6, or starting verse 4 instead. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing the large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew that what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Look back to verses 4 through 5. The problem here was that there was a huge crowd and they needed food. They were out in the wilderness. Uh, they needed food to, to be able to eat, and, and they didn't have enough money. Look at verses 6 and 7 as they talk about the money that they have. It says they had 200 denarii. You may look in the footnotes of your Bible. Uh, you may see uh, a little footnote that tells you what a denarius is. Uh, from, what, from what I've researched, uh, it says here, that they only had 200 denarii, which was about a day's labor. About a day's worth of labor. Um, a denarius was one day's wage. 200 denarii was about eight months of wages. Now I want you to think about that. This crowd was so big that eight months worth of money could not buy enough food to feed them. That's how many people there were in this crowd. Uh, I looked this up. The average American today makes about $45,000 per year. And so if you were to take that uh, and make it into eight months worth of pay, just just watch what happens. Let me find it. Okay, the average American makes 45000 a year, which is 3700 a month. The eight months wage is $29,000. So I want you to think about in today's world how much food you can buy for $29,000. And in this day, in this time, that wasn't enough to feed all the people who were there. But look at verses 8 and 9. Verses 8 and 9. The rest of the apostles that were there were doubting him, were, were questioning him. Philip said, you know, 
this eight months wage, we're never going to be able to buy enough food for all these people. But verses 8 and 9 says, One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Now, it may not seem like Andrew had a huge part in this, but Andrew, we can see from just this, these two verses, and from what we know in the past that we've read already, he sees the value of a personal relationship. And I firmly believe that all this time they've been with this huge crowd, Andrew has spent time getting to know the people that are following Jesus. Andrew is going around in this crowd, introducing himself. And while he's not the man out front, he is a man who knows how to build a relationship. And Andrew's doing just that. Andrew knew the people so well that when Jesus asked for food, he knew exactly who had food and how much food they had. And he said, here's a boy who has five barley loaves and two fish. Andrew knew better than anyone that his gifts were not too insignificant. He knew more than anyone that God could use his gifts. And I would say based on that, uh, as a man who's behind the scenes, he also believed in the power of Jesus. He believed when he saw these five loaves and two fish that Jesus could do something with that. And you may often feel like you don't have many talents. You may often feel like your talents aren't enough. But I want you to remember that no gift is insignificant. No gift is insignificant in the hands of Jesus. No gift. If you build a personal relationship with Jesus, as Andrew did, Jesus will use your gifts no matter who you are, no matter what your gifts are. No gift is insignificant in the hands of Jesus. And my challenge to you is to build a relationship with Him so that He can use your gifts. If you have a need tonight, please come as we stand and sing. Broken life, oh, my sin, He will create a new.